Well, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 64. Psalm 64. And as you're turning, I, I do have to make a personal report to you. Um, well, the diet was not blown, but it was put to the test. Uh, yesterday, uh, Arthur John Rankin took me to uh, College Station to show me where he is going to be and living and studying. And, and we drove around, and then he announced that we were going to uh, Sodalac's Beef Eater Restaurant. Of course, I was paying. I, I, I never knew the steak, a steak could be so large. It was on the plate covering all of it and overflowing, but... Uh, What brought me to my knees was something that I had never beheld before, a culinary delight called chicken fried bacon. (laughs) In very small print on the menu, it it said that this or um, appetizer was in memory of the deceased founder. And I'm quite sure after a bite or two that he died of some major coronary event. (laughs) So it's going to be of joy to visit Arthur John when he's studying history and a few other things up at Texas A&M this fall. That has nothing to do with Psalm 64, but it does give you an, it does give you an insight into your associate pastor's family. Psalm 64, to the choir master, a psalm of David. This is God's inerrant word. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life From dread of the enemy, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking... Who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, We have accomplished a diligent search. For the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots His arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly, They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exult. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for your word true and sure. We thank you for these ten little verses and ask, O oh God, that you might teach us the mind of Christ and show us the way of Christ. And we will give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Many commentators think this psalm comes from the early days of David's life. It's a psalm of David, as told us up just before the first verse. While a youth, David served in Saul's royal court. And you know, a young man in a royal court has a seat at the 50-yard line to watch 
all the political shenanigans and toing and froing of national life. As the hero, victorious over Goliath, David himself would not have been immune from such attention. There, David learned how to think Christianly about the office gossip and all the dramatics. Our psalm is a brief reflection on this reality. We're familiar with such talk in our own lives and the damage it can do. But here, the Holy Spirit blesses us by speaking through David in tones that we can understand and feel so that we might know how to think and how to feel about such treachery. And in these ten little verses, we learn that it can help to foresee of the archers that shoot at us and our Savior. It can help for us to foresee their doom. Well, the psalm is all about the archers. The evil men who are archers and who fashion and sharpen their arrows that they might shoot at the innocence of God. Verses 2 and 5 tell us that evil men connive. They scheme. They plot. They're downright treacherous. Verse 2 says, Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers. Verse 5 says, They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly thinking, who can see them? Well, who indeed? You see, their cause is shameful. And their tactics are indefensible. Last night, coming back from College Station, I was treated to the delight of my son's life. Uh, Next to the Lord and his family, I think it's podcasts that come uh, up on the highest level. Uh, we listen to uh, a podcast or, or a reading of a particular book that he has been dipping into. And, and we heard all about events from the Civil War. Now, if we were in the Deep South, I could, I could recount to you exactly what was said and you would feel the force of, of the evils of the treachery of total, total warfare, burning crops, burning houses, killing innocent civilians who happened to walk down the road. But, uh, well, these things can be controversial. The point here is that David is making reference to those who are within the public, visible church. Those that are within the nation of God. Those that are supposed to support the king and the Lord's anointed. But they have adopted secret terrorist tactics. In secret, they... They plot and they scheme and connive. This tactic is indefensible and unjustifiable. They seek to undo the order which God has established from inside. This is what evil looks like. And this is what evil does in the world. And these men, these evil men, perfect their arguments. In verses 3 and 6 we hear, Who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, they, according to verse 6, 
Search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. Oh, we then hear the reflective commentary for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. You see, these plotters from within the realm inevitably comment on the depravity of our humanity. This psalm is like a mirror. And as we read about the evil-doing archers, we fear about our own souls. For we know that we have not been all that we should be. Their tongues are wet like swords sharpened. They aim bitter words like arrows. Who among us can stand and boast that they have never said a wrong thing? That never once something wrong and harmful has ever come from their lips? This psalm is inspired and every word is true and sure. But even the ways of the wicked decried in the psalm and through it we find ourselves warned against them. These are ways that are known in every life in one time or season or another. And so we approach this psalm not boasting, not pointing and condemning, not adding hate upon hate, but rather in humility, cast low because the Holy Spirit is right. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The inward mind and heart of a man are deep and our hearts are deeply broken. But there are some who in their actions are overtly doing something wicked and evil in the moment. And it is right to speak against them. It is right even to make them infamous through song, to sing against them and their horrible ways. David here strikes a note that we might not forget about them or about ourselves. Verse 4 tells us that they shoot. And this is a time before gunpowder, a time before rifles. It is a shooting of arrows, which is referenced in the text. Shooting from ambush at the blameless. Shooting him... Suddenly and without fear, these evil men, these archers, wage a war of lies and innuendo. Their arrows are not physical, they're metaphorical. What they sharpen are their arguments and their words. And they wait and they watch for just the opportunity to let their barbs fly quickly. And sink deeply into the heart of one who is innocent before God. Now again, God tells us there is no one righteous, no not one. Is there a man or a woman who is blameless and without fault that would stand up and testify that they have never broken the law of God? I hope not one in this place. And so we learn 
because we are not blameless, that perhaps the arrows that are shot at us and scar our flesh are sometimes deeply deserved. And our heart and our eyes and our song are lifted up to heaven that we might see the true and ultimate object of this psalm who is only Jesus Christ our Lord. He, He is the one who can stand up and speak firmly and truly of His innocence. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore our sins on the tree. By His stripes, we are healed. How many spoke against Him? How many lifted up their tongues as well as their hands against Him? From within the visible church, there was plotting and and scheming. It was the leaders of God's people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sanhedrin, which debated and whispered and in secret prepared a plan against Him. Oh yes, Romans drove the nails. But the people of God were the ones that demanded and even directed the blows. This is our world. This is your world. Your world is like that. Even in the visible church, such wickedness abounds. David sings out to us from this particular psalm, Behold, he says, Behold Judas and his brothers. The archetype of treachery. The one for whom it would have been better to have a millstone tied around his neck and be cast into the sea. Wake up. Smell the coffee, David sings to you. The aroma. The aroma you smell of wickedness and evil is what your world, your life smells like. Now, the enemy's scheming gets six verses here. And the psalm speaks volumes by the fact that in really a little less than two, God makes His countermeasure effective. God has His bow too. And it is stretched and ready to strike. God fights back in verses 7 And the first half of eight, we read in verse seven, but God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. Divine protection is swift and sure in this case for a reason which it's very important for us to grasp. A means of deliverance is Devised by God in His sovereign and decreeing power, He uses the works, even the sharpened arrows and swords of the enemy against themselves. 
this act of God, this divine act of providence, is utterly irresistible, David tells us. Now, this causes us to pause. Because we see so much evil in the world. And we shout amen and sing along with David because there are times when God chooses in His providence to turn the arrows and swords of the wicked against themselves. They are undone by their own cunning. Their own devices are used against themselves. What is the effect? Verses 8 and 9 tell us, All who see them will wag their heads against them. All mankind fears then. They will tell what God has brought about and ponder what He has done. You see, God in His providence does this great act of of turning. And many see it and their minds are shaken. They wag their heads and wonder, how can this be? How can this happen? They see And they learn to fear God. They see. And then they speak to one another and to us of the power, the powerful work of Almighty God in His providence. You see, everything that happens unfolds only according to His divine decree. God is sovereign. The Old Testament and the New plainly bear witness to this fact. His word and His will are immutable. They shall come to best. So it shall be written. So it shall be done. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not die in vain. And His eternal purposes will certainly be accomplished. God is our Maker. In the beginning, God... And so everything that happens unfolds according to His will and His eternal decree. Yes, there's evil in the world, but God is the one who is the sovereign, uses sin sinlessly. And if you ask me how that happens, I I have read a library full of books and I don't know. And you don't either. And so in humility, we bow before the sovereign, providential God of all the universe and we thank Him that He here tells us that we can turn to Him in time of trouble and we can trust Him through thick and thin. You see, sometimes providence deals the cards in a way which work for us. And other times... As we pick up our hand, we wonder, how can this be? This is against us. But God, through His Apostle, tells us, does He not, in Romans 8, that that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And we know that love is not native to us. We're not born with it. We don't wake up in the cradle and scream, I love Jesus! We resist Him and we push back. And we would do so all the days of our lives were it not for His initiative 
in His sovereign power and decree where He changes us and makes us born again who were dead in sin and misery. You see, in a, in a fallen world, it's really hard to know what good is. What is good? The worst of diseases strike you and you almost lose your life And yet, from your bed of suffering you learn that all you come into this world and all that you leave this world with are but hope in God. And so your life is changed forever. You are no longer the same. And that which sought to kill you has been turned by God as an occasion providential for blessings untold. It's hard to know what good is in a fallen world. You see, you and I see through a glass dimly or darkly now. Thank God that He is good and His Son is the sovereign Lord of all. God knows. God sees And behind even what he knows and sees, he decrees whatsoever comes to pass. He moves over the chaos of demons and angels and men as surely as his spirit moved and hovered over the chaos of the waters. Out of nothing, he brings something. Nothing at all resists. His sovereign will. He is the Lord of creation. And as the Lord of creation, He is also the Lord of time and and history. As the time Lord, He shapes and molds our days. And the strangest of things, He does so without overthrowing our wills, but rather He establishes them. We have a place to stand. We have the dignity of choice Because we're made in His image and we, by His grace, can even choose that which is right. So here, in Psalm 64, He makes good out of evil in a most amazing and revealing kind of way. By taking those arrows which are shot and turning them back against themselves, God proclaims to us all that He is there and He is not silent. That He is active and He is doing all His holy will. That He will accomplish His great covenant of grace. And those arrows which seek to destroy David, to undo His anointed kingship, to fracture and to end all of redemptive history, they will come to naught. That God will move them back and accomplish His ends that His enemies shall be defeated, that God's purposes shall triumph, that Jesus will come and that He will live a perfect life and He will die a perfect death on Calvary and He will be resurrected in glory to pour His life eternal out upon each and every one of His own. And so the righteous, the righteous do what comes natural to them in their born-again state. 
The righteous rejoice. The righteous look and sound like Jesus. All mankind fears. But verse 10 says, the righteous, the righteous one rejoices in the Lord. The righteous rejoice and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exalt. The psalm begins with the righteous crying to God. And so your prayers, if you are in Christ, if, if you trust Him, if you are united to Him by faith and by the Spirit, if you are not an outsider to Him, but an insider, one who has been born again, then your prayers ascend to heaven and they are heard. And God, amazingly, before the prayer comes off your lips, He has bound Himself by His own honor, by His own glory, to see to it that your prayer is answered yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now even as a saved one, you're just like me. You're downright silly in what you ask for sometimes. Have I told you before as a child, I read that verse in the Bible, ask whatever you will in my name and I will give it. And so I did the natural thing that any young teenager would do. I went straight down to the department store and in front of a set of golf clubs, I prayed. And I said out loud, there was nobody else in the aisle. I said, in Jesus' name, I want these golf clubs. And God taught me a great lesson. I didn't get them for years, for decades. And then because I used that illustration in a Sunday school class as a joke, they gave me a set of golf clubs just like that. I played one round of golf with those clubs. I stopped counting my score after the second hole. My friends fled from me, fearful that I would say, want to go out and play golf? Oh, I learned a lesson of providence that day. The righteous cry out to God, and their prayers are answered better than they know how to ask. The righteous also hide themselves in God. We go to Him. We flee to Him. We take refuge in Him, David sings to us. And so there, hiding under the shadow of His wing, His purposes become our purposes. His Word becomes our safety and our shelter in time of trouble. He becomes our hope. And then we get to do what only believers really can do truly. We get to exult, to rejoice, not to just be happy for a season, but to have that solid joy, that lasting pleasure of praise of our Heavenly Father that echoes down through the ages, that never ceases, but finds its completion and fulfillment in Him. The righteous, glory in God, glory in Christ, glory in His ways and works, 
He alone is our boast. Now, I can't stand before you on the basis of this text or any other in the Bible and tell you what you want to hear. What you want to hear is that whenever you're faced with an enemy, whenever there's trouble and someone's out to get you, that God will intervene, that their bullets will fly back at them, that you will never be touched under any circumstances. And that's not what this text says. Every one of us in this room, even every one of us who know the Lord, we have a few scars. You know, I have one or two I could show you and and you don't want to see. You have scars of your own. The Word of God has not been overthrown. You see, we have scars for a lot of different reasons. We have scars that bear testimony to the wickedness and evil of men. David suffered scars as they wagged their tongues, as they undermined and and sought to undo him. The rest of his life was a living through the pains and arrows of outrageous fortune. Some of our scars are self-inflicted, aren't they? We are so silly sometimes as to place our hand on the block and stab it with our own knife. We're a foolish lot. But there are times when against every calculation that men would make, God does something downright miraculous. And He takes an arrow and He turns it back. And He uses it against the archer who would undo us. He does that not at our whim and for our pleasure, but He does it for the goodness and for the blessing of His redemptive intent. He protects David that Jesus might come. He protects Jesus just up until the moment of the cross that we might be saved. He shelters us in the shadow of our wing, never having you go through more than you can bear that you might live to His glory. And that is the good news of the Gospel in Psalm 64. When you're discouraged, take a deep breath and remember the doom of the archers who shoot at the Lord and at His anointed. Those arrows, they will ultimately be turned back. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that we might take our comfort and refuge in You. The world is wicked. Men are evil. And we ourselves are not all that we should be. We pray that You would do Your great and providential work. We thank You that the purposes of providence 
work for the benefit of salvation. Gather in the saints. Perfect them and build them up. Help us, O God, we do pray, that we might rejoice in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.